Hello, friends. This is Derek Kistner, founder and executive director of the Greater Peoria House of Prayer. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Whether you're hearing from me, my wife Mandy, or a trusted leader, it's my hope that it would serve you well in your walk with Jesus. Maybe you're listening at home here in central Illinois, maybe in your vehicle, or even somewhere on the other side of the world. However you're tuning in or wherever you are, it's my prayer that what you hear helps you to love God, His Word, His Spirit, His Church, and the people you interact with each and every day. Thanks again for listening, and may the grace of God fill your heart as you listen to the following message. I'm glad to be here uh, with you to share uh, God's Word tonight. I uh, want to continue in the, in the flow um, that has been the order of this house over the last uh, several weeks. I understand that Derek has been teaching on discipleship, and uh, so I want to uh, just kind of continue in that flow uh, tonight. I don't know if my task is to reiterate what already has been said or to build upon what has already been said. But I guess we'll determine that once I give you what I feel like God has given me to give you. But I do know it may be a little bit of both or one of the other where I'm just reiterating. If I'm reiterating, then praise God for affirmation, all right? Um, and if I'm building upon, I want to do that very carefully uh, in a way that those of you that have been hearing the messages uh, on discipleship, that you'll be able to take this and add um, to what you um, have already heard. Uh, whatever it is on tonight, my prayer um, really is to do two things. Um, one, to be a window pane, so to speak. Um, that you can see through me, that you can see through whatever it is that I bring, and you can get a clearer picture of Jesus, that you can see him. In all of our worship and all of our preaching and teaching and whatever it is that we're doing, if we don't give you a clearer sense of who Jesus is, and if you don't see him in greater beauty and attraction and value, then we have totally missed our calling. We have totally missed what we have been called to do. It's never to bring attention to ourselves or to uh, walk away with greater reputation of any kind. But our first and primary goal is to become a, a window pane whereby you can see through to the Savior a little bit clearer. And that's what I want to do tonight. But the second part of that, um, it, it's a it's a, a two-way window, if you will, um, because there's an aspect of it that we want to see through to Jesus, but there's a side of that window that's a mirror as well. And we want to be able to look at ourselves. We want to be able to examine ourselves and see how do we line up with the word of God, with the will of God, what he's speaking to us in this season and in that, in this moment. So, um, I want to call your attention to John chapter eight, um, just really two or three verses that we'll focus on for the next few minutes. So I'm going to read this. And uh, if you would just have this as a foundation, as a, as a background um, of everything that we're going to uh, release over the next few minutes. John chapter eight, and I'll start at verse 30. John eight, verse 30. Here's what it says. As he was saying these things, the he that it's talking about is Jesus, um, and he had just been really talking about who he is, why he was sent, what his purpose was, and all of that. But it says, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Get that? Many believed in him. So, and that's a continuation of verse 30, so Jesus said to the Jews, who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free want to just take a, an avenue 
around that, but back to it for just a moment, because if you've been around the church for any length of time, then you're probably very familiar with the Great Commission. The Great Commission, in one sense, is found in Matthew chapter 28, uh, verse 18, 19, and 20, where Jesus says, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. He says, go therefore, as a result of the fact that I now have jurisdiction over all of it, go and make disciples or go and teach all nations. Some translations say baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe whatsoever I've commanded you and I am with you until the end of the age. The imperative of the Great Commission is to make disciples. I want you to understand that. It's to make disciples. That was Jesus's final command. That is Jesus's final instructions to those who are his followers, to those who are his chosen. And it wasn't just to the 11 that he was talking to at that time, but it really becomes a word of instruction and guidance for every Christ follower of all times that our goal and our call is to make disciples. But I want you to understand what when he calls us to make disciples, first of all, understand that he's not calling us to make church members. Okay. He's not calling us to make believers. Now, as I say that, I need you to understand that church membership has its place. This is not an anti-church membership uh, uh, lesson, but I need you to understand that the call was not to firstly make church members, but the call is to make disciples. It's to make disciples. It's this Greek word, mathetios. Matthews. And 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 that that uh that Greek word uh uh Matthew, uh is this word that means to be a pupil. It means to be a student. It means to be a learner. It literally means to sit under another and learn. Okay? So if we understand that the call of Jesus Christ, the great commission, if you will, is to make disciple or or, or to make these learners, these students, then we begin to understand that at bare minimum, watch this, at bare minimum, a disciple is one who is committed to learning. Okay? Okay. At bare minimum, a disciple is one who is committed to learning. Now, I could spend the next hour just talking about that in and of itself because we have moved into, I believe, an era of the church where we want experience with Jesus, but we don't want to learn from Jesus. We have moved into a a time where we want the glory, we want the presence, we want the power, we want the healings, we, we want God to move in these mighty amazing ways, signs, wonders, and mighty deeds. And I'm not saying that we're wrong for seeking that, I'm not saying that we're wrong for wanting that, but what he first called people to was discipleship. Hear him in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28 when he says watch this come to me all you who are heavy laden and I will give you rest but look at what the command is take my yoke upon you and learn of me for my yoke is easy and my burden is light and you will find rest for your soul so the call is to become a student the call is to become a learner so there is no way in the world that we can call ourselves true disciples or followers of Jesus if we have left or abandoned a commitment to learn. 
We must have a commitment to learn and to grow, to be learning from Jesus and to be learning of Jesus everything we possibly can. That may be the reason why the Bereans got a a commendation in scripture in Acts chapter 17 when it says the Bereans were more noble than those at Thessalonica in that they studied the word daily to see if what the apostles said was so. There was this commitment to learning. No wonder the apostles got a commendation in Acts chapter 4 when they had not had any type of structured or official or formal academic training. But the Bible says that they were men of boldness because they had been with Jesus. They learned from him. They learned of him. No wonder the Bible tells us and it is a command and an instruction in first Peter that we are to add to our faith we're to make every effort to add to our faith well what do we add to our faith the first thing we add is virtue which is moral excellence it's moral excellence but right after virtue you know what the next one is knowledge you add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge no wonder the Bible tells us also in first Peter chapter 3 and verse number 18 but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ hopefully you get the point by now that you cannot be a true follower of Jesus Christ if you have left the basic bare minimum of discipleship which is a commitment to learn So let's keep going after the glory. Let's keep asking for the healing and salvation and power and authority and all of that. But we can't do that to the exclusion of having a commitment to learn, to be a student, to be a pupil. We can't get so carried away in dreams and visions and prophecies and everything else that we've left the bare minimum commitment of learning. Does that make sense? But let's go deeper because I need you to understand that to the Jewish mind, when they would have heard that word, uh, Mathachuo, when they would have heard that word, they would have never heard that word as simply a quest for information. They would have never heard that word as simply a quest for information because that word, that Greek word that I'm telling you there that means a student or a pupil, it's deeper, it's broader, it, it goes further than just transferring information. Here's how I know it because the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 6 in verse number 40 that a disciple is not above his teacher but every one he when he is fully trained watch this will be like his teacher all right that's Luke 6:40 that that a, a student a disciple he says is not above his teacher but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher so i need you to understand that the goal of discipleship is not merely the transfer of information but the goal of discipleship is the investment of a life Does that make sense? So the disciple, watch this, the disciple doesn't sit at the feet of the rabbi simply to gain more information, but rather any information that the disciple is gaining is with the goal of being just like the one teaching them. So I want to sit at the feet of the teacher, not so I can walk away with just more knowledge, not so I can walk away and feel good about what I know. But what 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 the the goal is, is to sit at the feet of the teacher. So I become like the teacher. I wonder if this is why Mary got a commendation in scripture when Jesus shows up at Mary and Martha's house and Martha has went into the kitchen and she's trying to get the chicken and macaroni and cheese together she wants to make sure that the bread is right and she's getting mad because Mary is not helping her with the dishes and with the food and all of that stuff Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus and when Martha tells Jesus why don't you tell her to get up and help me listen to what Jesus says she has chosen the best part she's chosen the good part 
What do you mean she's chosen the good part? Because the best thing you can do when Jesus is in the room is not worried about fried chicken and macaroni. It's sit at his feet and try to be like him. It's to be still before him, to be quiet before him, and to receive everything that he has to offer. So the goal of discipleship is not how many Bible verses you know. Yes, pastor will tell you all day long, it's a great thing to memorize the scripture. I know it's a great thing because was it not David, I believe, who says, thy word have I what? Hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you. So yes, memorizing scripture and knowing the Bible and knowing the addresses of where they are all of that is great but if you know a bunch of bible but you have become no more like jesus you've missed the whole point of knowing the bible the whole point of the knowledge is to make us like the teacher that's what discipleship is so watch this If then the command of Jesus is to make disciples of all nations, I cannot reproduce what I am not. Are you with me? I can't reproduce what I am not because watch this. Everything that reproduces, it reproduces after its own kind. So only a disciple can make a disciple. And I maintain part of the problem with why we're not making disciples is because the church, the kingdom is devoid of real disciples. We can only reproduce what we are. So if we're not becoming disciples, we cannot make disciples. If we're not walking in true discipleship, we can never make disciples. Because in order to make a disciple, it's not they showed up to church, they got the sermon, they filled out the card, they went to Sunday school. No, discipleship is me investing in a life. It's me pouring who I am into another person. Well, pastor, that's scary because I don't want them to become like me. Absolutely. You want them to become like Jesus. So that's why the goal of discipleship is me becoming more like him. So I pour the him in me into the ones who sit at my feet. Those are the ones that he has given me influence with. And my job is to pour the him out of me into them. Is that making sense? We're called to make disciples, but we can only do that by first becoming disciples. And as we invest not just information in people, but as we invest our very lives into people, the mantle that God has put on us, that's what we're putting on others and giving to others. We make disciples that way. All right. So if you got that, let's take a step deeper, right? Because now that leads us to this verse in John chapter 8 where I read. And the first thing I want you to notice and why I purposely read verse number 30 before we went to 31. Because most people are familiar with verse 31 and 32. We focus on those verses a lot. But let's just pause for a minute to do a quick grammar lesson. Because whenever a sentence starts with so, you should be referring back to whatever has been said because the soul is connecting what has been said to what is about to be said. So if we look at John chapter 8 and we look at verse number 31, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed on him, it, it begs us to look back. Why is he saying so? What is he connecting what has been said with what is about to be said? And, and what he's connecting is verse number 30. He was say as he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed and he goes further. Here's the point that I want to make. Sometimes we get so caught up on bringing people to the point of belief and we drop them there. But notice Jesus wasn't moved simply by many believing him. But now that he's got the many who has believed in him, he tells them what the real goal is. The real goal wasn't just to get them to the point of believing in him. But now that they believe in him, he points them to the ultimate goal, which is I want you to be my disciples. 
I want you to be my disciples. Why am I making a difference between simply believing in him and being disciples? Because Jesus made the difference. He said, okay, you believed in me, but now that you believe in me, here's what true disciples look like. Here's how true disciples operate. And I need you to understand, I know that there's a difference simply believing in Jesus and on Jesus and being a true disciple because the Bible tells us something about demons in James chapter 2. And guess what the Bible says about demons? Even they believe and they tremble. But you would never say that a demon is a true disciple of Jesus Christ. But yet, even demons have belief in who Jesus is. So Jesus is showing us that it's not enough just to come to a place of believing Christ, believing in him. And it's not just enough to even bring people to the place of belief. Praise God that they come to that place. But that's not the stopping point. That is actually the starting point. And what belief launches is a life of discipleship. So he goes on to say to those who have believed, watch this, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Let me focus in on another word real quick. And that is the word are. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Why do I want to focus on the word are? Because I also want you to know from the get go that discipleship or a disciple is not something you're becoming is not something that is for a later stage in your Christianity. That's your reality right now. Some people have this mindset that I believe and I'm a Christian and I walk, but a disciple are the ones that are really serious and the ones that are really prayer warriors and they know the word and they have scripture memorized and all of that stuff. And they think discipleship is some later stage in your Christianity. No, once you have believed on Christ, you are a disciple and you manifest the behavior of a disciple from the start. And I'm going to show you what that behavior is. Three things in particular that the Lord has given me to give you tonight. But I want to show you that discipleship is, is, is from the start. It's from the, the point of conception, which is believe. And you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. And that discipleship is steadily growing and going deeper where you're learning more of Jesus. You're becoming like Jesus. You're looking like Jesus. You're knowing Jesus. You're embracing Jesus. You're manifesting the characteristics of Jesus Christ and so we need to understand uh, that uh, that is discipleship is learning from Jesus is sitting at his feet it's becoming like him so that the, the ultimate goal is that I reproduce who I am I reproduce another disciple but another word we can't skip over is this word truly this word truly Listen to the verse again. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. All right. Let me contemporize this and put it in Preston language. Here's the way I think Jesus would have said it. You've believed. And now if you continue to buy my abide in my word, you're my disciples for real, for real. Okay. You're my for real disciples. All right. Which then begs this thought that there are not just two categories of people in the world, but rather there are three. What are those three categories? The three categories are those who are not disciples of Jesus Christ. That's one. They don't even make any claims to be disciples of Jesus Christ. They're not trying to uh, pretend they don't have anything to do with Jesus. They are not disciples and they make no claims to be disciples. That's one category. There's another category of people who have a pretense of discipleship. They look like disciples. They may even sound like disciples, but they would never get Jesus's designation of being truly a disciple. 
They're not for real, for real disciples. In other words, there are authentic disciples and there are inauthentic disciples. So there's some people who look like a believer, look like a Christian, act like a Christian, say the right things, do the right things, but they're not true disciples of Jesus Christ. And then there's this third category of individuals who are truly disciples or for real disciples. They're authentic disciples. So pastor, how do I know if I'm a for real disciple or how do I know if someone else is a for real disciple? Are there any characteristics? Is there any litmus test that would allow me to know what does a for real disciple look like? And I want to sagaciously suggest to you that there are at least three characteristics that for real disciples walk in and live in. And the first one is found right here in this same verse. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. The first characteristic of a for real disciple, a true disciple, is someone who abides in the word. They abide in the word. Now, again, as we look at this text, we have to acknowledge that he says, if you abide in my word, singular, not plural. Okay, if you abide in my word, not my words, we'll read that in another verse. But in this context, he doesn't say if you abide in my words. And so what I'm talking about here is not your Bible study makes you a a for real disciple, because he says, if you abide in my word, singular, here's what I believe that Jesus is saying. He's saying, if you abide in my word summed up. My word singular, everything I would teach, everything I would stand for, everything I would tell you, my word. If you abide in the sum total of my word, you are my disciple. Well, since we're there... I think we should just pause for a minute and maybe consider what is the sum total of his word, right? What would be that thing that is the sum of his word that he says, if you abide in my word, singular, all summed up, you're my true disciple. Here's what I think it is. It's him. It's him. How do you know that, pastor? Because everything about the word points to Jesus. Everything about the word is meant to reveal him. One place in the Bible, he says, lo, I come in the volume of this book. It is written of me. Everything about all of the words that Jesus has ever taught and every apostle has taught has been to show us more Jesus. So when he says, if you abide in my word, singular, he's really saying, if you abide in me and everything I stand for. That's what he's literally saying. Abide in me. If you need more proof of that in the same book in chapter 20, John chapter 20, verse 31, John himself tells the reason why he wrote this gospel. John tells us in John chapter 20 and verse 31, the reason why he wrote this gospel, all of these chapters and verses of the gospel of John, he says, these things are written that you may believe on the son of God and have eternal life. Everything John wrote from John chapter one, verse one, in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. From that all the way to the last verse of John, he said, I wrote it all to point you to Jesus. I wrote it all to show you that he really is who he says he is. And in between John 1 and 1 and the end of John, he tells us things like, I am the bread of life, that I am the living water, that I am the resurrection and the life. And then he just said, I am, right? All of this stuff is meant to show us the sum total of the word is Jesus Christ. So when Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Here's what I'm telling you. Number one, true disciples abide in everything Jesus. Everything Jesus. You cannot tell me you are a true disciple and you get tired of Jesus. 
You can't tell me you're a true disciple and you get tired of hearing about him. Have you ever had someone who, who even is a Christian and they will get a little annoyed and get, you know, whatever with you. You talk about, all you ever talk about is Jesus. It's Jesus this, it's Jesus that, it's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And even Christians can get annoyed with you over Jesus. I would dare to say no for real, for real disciple can ever get tired of Jesus because what you abide in as a disciple is everything he is. You can't get enough of it. That word abide literally means you make your home there. You could stay right there and never have to leave and never want to leave because it's everything you want. It's everything you desire. It nourishes you. It equips you. It comforts you. It emboldens you. It's home to you. And so Jesus says a for real disciple abides in my word. Secondly, not only does a true disciple abide in the word, but I want to show you what John further says about disciples and true disciples in John chapter 15. Now, many of you will probably be familiar with this passage of scripture, but it talks about the vine. The father is the vine dresser. All of us are branches. Jesus is the vine, right? So this really not only complements, but it further, and I would encourage you to read these beginning verses in your own time because it further helps you to understand what I just said about abiding in the word because what Jesus is saying in these first few verses is abide in me. You really cannot survive. You can't live. You can't accomplish anything without abiding in him. But I want us to drop down to verse number eight and listen to what he says in verse eight. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And here it is. And so prove to be my what? My disciples. So that lets me know that not only does a for real, for real disciple, not only do they abide in the word, the sum total of the word of Jesus, not only do they abide in the word, but secondly, for real disciples bear much fruit. Notice that it doesn't even just say they bear fruit, but it says that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. A for real, for real disciple will never sit around in 2021 and your fame to claim is what God did through you in 1980. I'm going to let that sink in for a minute. If all you have to talk about is how God used you back in the 60s or back in the 80s or in early 2000, I would dare to say you cannot be a for real, for real disciple because a for real, for real disciple is always bearing fruit. They bear much fruit. For the glory of God. If you don't believe me, here's another Bible verse to back it up. Psalm 1, right? Psalm 1, starting at verse 1. Here's what it says. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of the sinner, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Here's verse 3. And he will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that produces fruit in his season, Whatever he does will prosper. That's what the word of God says. If you are for real follower of Jesus Christ, your life is always full of fruit. There's not just this magical moment and magical season where God did something great. But as a for real disciple, you are always bearing fruit. That fruit looks different in different seasons and different stages of life. But a disciple is always bearing fruit for the glory of God. You show me the Christian who never produces anything for the glory of God. And I would show you a person who is an inauthentic disciple. 
Because an authentic disciple, as we see in the word, produces much fruit. Well, pastor, what is that fruit? What does that even look like? I, you know, you're talking about producing much fruit and, and a disciple produces fruit. What does that look like? Y'all have great questions tonight. So I'm going to answer the, all of these questions that you have, right? All right. So watch this. The first thing that I think fruit looks like in a disciple's life is the fruit of the spirit. Simple, right? The fruit of the spirit. If you are a for real disciple, then the fruit of the spirit should be increasing and manifesting in your life. How are you going to say you're bearing fruit for the glory of God, but not increasing in love, not increasing in joy, not increasing in peace and long suffering and all the other fruit of the spirit? If I am a for real disciple, part of the much fruit that I'm going to bear to the glory of God is the fruit of the spirit. That will become more evident in my life. And that's a growth process. That's why I said this discipleship is a lifelong journey because we're all growing in that. You should have more peace today than you had three years ago. Right? You should be better at loving today than you were 10 years ago. We should be increasing in the fruit of the Spirit. But there's a move in the body of Christ where we're dumbing everything down and we hide behind these secular philosophies of God is not done with me yet. You know, God is not done with you yet, but you've been struggling with that same attitude for the last 20 years. There should be some growth. There should be some progress. There should be some increases in love, not fortifying myself in carnality, not fortifying myself in humanism and narcissism in every other elemental philosophy of the world. We should be growing in grace. We should be growing in the fruit of the spirit. Okay. So that's one area of what much fruit looks like. It's the increase of the fruit of the spirit in my life. Secondly, which is a natural reading from the scripture. If I'm bearing much fruit, I should be leading souls to Jesus. I should be leading souls to Jesus. There's a lot of Christians that are complaining about the way that the world is and the corruption of government and uh, all of the violence in the community and, and love waxing cold and all of that. Partly we shouldn't be shocked because even Jesus himself prophesied that these days were coming. Paul prophesied in the last days there's going to be perilous times and all of those things that are coming. But part of the reason why there is this increase of darkness and it seems like no one wants to know God is because the the church has become silent and we are no longer evangelizing like the church once did. We now want programs and events to become our evangelism rather than Romans 1 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. We want programs and events to make disciples rather than being ambassadors for Christ, understanding that I have been giving the message and the ministry of reconciliation and our appeal should be to people to be reconciled to God. We would rather have friends and people look at us as Christians as cool rather than maybe ruffle some feathers and see some people really get converted to Jesus Christ. We have to understand part of bearing much fruit is souls being saved. It's making other disciples, people who are coming to know who Jesus is and giving their life to him, becoming his disciples, and then they make other disciples. That's bearing much fruit. Why is it that we think that the time we live in is so hard to make believers? I want you to think about this time that this was written in. In the time that John was living, in the time that Paul was living and what was going on, they were living under a secular empire. They were living at a time where in most places it was against the law to serve Christ and to serve God. If you were not caught up in the paganism paganism and the heathenism of that time, many times you were persecuted, you were killed. Christians were made sport of. They were living in hard times. The people of God have always been oppressed in one way or another. 
But yet we read in the Acts of the Apostles, the first years of the Christian church, we read not that the church grew in trinkles and drops and little spurts, but no, we read words like multiplied. We see masses of people coming to belief in Jesus and the church was growing even under the hardest times. What is our excuse? There is none other than the fact that we have become spiritual wimps. We want so much power and so much glory and so much authority, but we don't even want to make somebody mad by telling them Jesus is the only way to the Father. There is no other way. There are not all of these paths that lead to God. No, Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse number six, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. And if you don't believe that, and if you're not willing to tell that to people, you are not a true disciple. You have to understand as a true disciple, you will be an aroma of death to some people. First Corinthians chapter four. Everyone's not going to like you. Everyone's not going to like what you have to say. Everyone's not going to like your conviction. But that's the cost of being a disciple. And if we're going to be true disciples, it's bearing fruit. And part of bearing fruit is leading souls to Jesus. Well, how do I do that? Well, here's one way. I could tell you many different ways, but here's one way. You can never bear fruit by leading people to Jesus if the only people you ever hang with are those who already know him. I'll say that again. You can never... Bear fruit by leading people to Jesus if the only people you ever hang with are those who already know him. That's part of the reason that we're not bearing much fruit to the glory of God because I read of a church in the book of Acts that they had their community, they had their koinonia, they had all of that as a Christian community, but they were also very outwardly focused. The Bible says they went everywhere proclaiming the gospel. They were very outwardly focused. You know what we've done in the modern church, in the innovative church? We've turned inward. And so all of our circles look alike and they're just more people who look like us. But that wasn't Paul's mindset when he commands us in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 or uses it as an example. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, I became all things to all men that I may do what? gain some he said to the Jew I became as a Jew as the one who was outside of the law I became as one outside of the law Paul became all things to all men that he could win some to Christ what does bearing fruit look like it looks like you walking with Jesus and walking with someone who doesn't know Jesus and if you keep walking with Jesus while walking with someone who doesn't at some point they're going to meet each other Amen, pastor. I had to say amen to that myself. All right. If you're walking with Jesus and you're walking with someone who's not, you keep walking with him and keep walking with them. At some point, they're going to meet each other. And I would dare to say if they don't meet somewhere, you stop walking with one or the other. All right. Let me try it this way. There's no way in the world that in our, even our human relationships, that someone can know you for a significant amount of time and never know you're married, never know you have children, never know, you know, anything. If, if people know you for any length of time, there are some people, y'all, that are complete strangers and they know stuff about us, right? They know we're married, know we've got kids, know where we work at. We have those kind of conversations in the grocery store. If people walk with us any length of time, they get introduced to the people we're connected to. How is it sinners can come in contact with us, but they never get introduced to the Jesus that we walk with every day? That we live with every day. We'll mention our wife, our husband, our kids, where we work, what we do for hobbies. We'll have all that conversation. But Jesus never comes up in conversation. We never share the gospel with people and confront them with the fact that they are sinners 
Well, I'm waiting on the right opening. Isn't it interesting that the world doesn't need an opening for anything they want to say? When I'm in the grocery store and I'm having a conversation or whatever, nobody asks me for permission to to use four letter words in my presence or to use, you know, offensive language. Nobody asks for permission. They just talk. It just rolls out. They're just being who they are. Right. Just talking as they talk. If the world is that bold to just talk and say whatever is in their heart, why is it that we as Christians, we're always looking for the perfect opportunity, the perfect moment. the perfect circumstance that's when I'll mention Jesus maybe it's because we trust more in the atmosphere than we do in the power of the word now pastor's not saying make enemies either I'm not saying that's the goal I'm not saying to not use wisdom I'm just saying that we don't bear much fruit because we're not talking about him we're not introducing people to him like we should yes you're going to get rejected but remember Jesus already told you if they reject you it's not really you they're rejecting they're rejecting him and matter of fact in that great commission where he tells you to make disciples he didn't even tell you to go at it by yourself listen to what he closes that out with and I am with you always even until the end of the age you will never have a conversation with a person by yourself he says I'm with you I'm with you and what I'm saying to us is let's be for real for real disciples in that we abide in the word and number two we're bearing much fruit and I think that that fruit looks like the fruit of the spirit increasing in our lives but it also has to mean that we're winning souls for Jesus and you can't win watch this you can't bring in a harvest of seeds you haven't planted you cannot bring in a harvest of seeds you haven't planted And sometimes those seeds get planted in tears. But remember what the psalmist says, that those who sow in tears will reap in joy. Okay, so you got to understand you can't bear fruit if you didn't plant the seed. And some of us are wanting our friends to come to Jesus, our co-workers to come to Jesus and our family members to come to Jesus. But we're wanting them to come without planting a seed. Well, I figure if I just live a good life and I live as an example and I treat them right and love them and all of that stuff, that's wonderful. That's great. We should be doing that. But that's not how people get saved. And whoever taught that as a doctrine, I'm telling you, it's not biblical. It's not biblical to just love people and think they're going to become Christian. What I see that is replete in scripture is the way people become Christian is somebody has to give them the word. All right. Y'all think I'm making it up. So see, this is there. This is why sermons get longer, right? Because, you know, people think you're making it up and you got to prove it to them, right? All right, watch this, Romans chapter 10. I know you're already familiar with it, but Romans chapter 10, listen to what the word of God says. Romans chapter 10, verse number eight. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Verse number nine, but if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved look this way because we believe that right we love that we want people to be saved and we want to tell people believe in their heart confess with their mouth and they will be saved right and we're hoping we just love them enough and and we just are patient enough and and we're enough of an example to them that they will do this but the problem is if we stop with that verse we've missed how that comes about The rest of the verse gives us how that comes about. Verse number 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Watch this, verse 14. 
how then, because someone had a question back then too, right? How then will they call on him whom they haven't believed? So, so Paul is helping us understand they will never call on someone they don't believe in. So they first have to come to a place of believing so they call on him to be saved. How will they call on those whom, in, how will they call on him whom they have not believed? But then he goes further. And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? So we want them to call on him to be saved. But Paul is saying in order for them to call on him, they've got to believe, right? And if they're going to believe, they have to what? Hear. But then he goes even further. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Notice it didn't say, and how are they to hear without the pastors preaching? Without the prophets preaching? Without the street evangelists preaching? No, it didn't give a title. It didn't give a designation. It just said they can't hear without someone preaching. I I wish someone tonight would say, I'm that someone, right? I'm not waiting on the pastor. I'm not waiting on the preacher. I'm not waiting on the evangelism ministry, but I'm that someone who is supposed to tell them about the one they never heard. So they'll believe on him and they'll call on him and they'll get saved. And then if that's not enough, verse number 15, and how are they to preach Unless they are what? Sent. Well, that's the thing, pastor. I've never been ordained. It didn't say how can they preach unless they've been ordained. It said how can they preach unless they've been what? Sent, right? Well, well, who's going to send me? Jesus already did. That's what I started with in Matthew chapter 28, right? When he says, go therefore and teach all nations. You've already been commissioned. You've already been sent. You've already been given the word of Jesus. He sent you and this is what he thinks about you at the end of that verse. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But let's get real. Verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. Everyone's not going to obey. Everyone's not going to receive it. Everyone's not going to have this flutter around the heart and angels start singing from heaven when you share the gospel with them. Some people are not going to like it. Some people are going to curse you. Some people are not going to ever talk to you again. Some people will talk about you, persecute you. All of that has come. But that's why Jesus says, are you willing to lay down your life for the sake of the gospel? Because your reward is not just that conversation. Your reward goes so much deeper and further than that. If you're willing to lay down your life for the gospel, he says that the reward is 30, 60, 100 fold and even more to come in the life after. All I'm trying to say is if we're for real, for real disciples, we will bear much fruit. And that fruit is the fruit of the spirit. And that fruit is also saved souls. And, and I don't, I don't, I don't mind if we as the church get innovative and creative and we're using gifts and technology and all of that stuff and all of the things that are available to us. I don't mind. And if even if I did, that didn't stop anything. Right. Because I'm just William President. But all I'm saying is I don't mind that. That's not the issue. The issue is innovation and creativity and technology and everything else need to be tools to share the gospel, not to replace sharing. Don't cop out by inviting your friend to watch a video rather, you, rather than you being bold and saying what needs to be said. True disciples abide in the word. True disciples, they bear much fruit. And here's last but not least, and I'm done. Right here in John 13, if we go back to John Starting at verse 31. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. Verse 32. 
If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Verse 33, watch this. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I say also to you where I am going, you cannot come. So since I'm leaving you behind, he's saying you can't come right now. Here's what you focus on. Verse 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Here's the point. Verse 35, by this, by what? By this, what is the this? Love, by this all people will know that you are my what? There it is. Yeah, that you are my disciples if you have what? Love for one another. So for real, for real disciples or true disciples abide in the word. True disciples bear much fruit and true disciples love. Simple as that. True disciples love. If I can contemporize this with what's going on right now, true disciples love whether you wear a mask or not. True disciples love whether you get the vaccine or not. True disciples love regardless of who's president. True disciples love regardless of what policies you agree with or don't agree with. We don't get a pass on love because something rubs us the wrong way. Because we disagree with something. We don't even get a pass on love when we feel like our liberties and our freedoms are being encroached upon. Because Jesus said it this way. How about this for freedom and liberty? When someone takes your coat away from you give them your tunic as well Jesus said how about this for your freedom and liberty when someone punches you on one side of the face turn the other one to them Jesus said how about this for freedom and liberty when someone compels you to go one mile you should actually go two It's like we've gotten into this season where things are crazy and things are hectic. And yes, there's a lot of opinions flying and Christians have forgotten that our one command that all of the law and everything is wrapped up in is to love God and to love people. And just in case we've forgotten what love looks like, it's still in the Bible. If you haven't ripped that page out of the Bible or crossed it out in some kind of way, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love is, here's number one, patient. How are we going to be for real, for real disciples and prove we're disciples by love when everything irritates us? Everything annoys us. And not only does it irritate us and annoy us, we've gotten to a point, even as believers, where we have no filter on how we express it. The Bible says, be angry and what? Sin not. You can be angry all you want. You don't get to call people names because you disagree with them. You don't get to harbor bitterness in your heart toward people because they have a different philosophy than you do. We don't get to do that. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us to make sure that no root of bitterness springs up in our heart. The way we show to be real disciples is we love. And the first aspect of love is patience. I'm willing to put up with some things. I'm willing to forbear some things. How do we prove we're disciples to the world? Jesus told us it's not about how loud you worship, how much you dance and jump around, how high you lift your hands or how much you put in the collection plate. Jesus says, no, the real measure of discipleship that will prove to people you're my disciples is how you love one another. I believe this past year and a half has really tested the love of the church. 
And in some ways, you all, I am embarrassed for us because when I look at things being passed back and forth on Facebook and some even sermons pastors are preaching and things Christians are saying, we might be right in what we're saying or what we believe, but love packages it a certain way. Love becomes discretion. Love understands that I can't seek the downfall of anyone. I, I, I can't, as Jesus said, call my brothers and sisters raka or fool and think that I'm not going to have judgment on me. Love determines how I view people, how I speak to people, and how I speak about people. Especially those that are of the household of faith. For real disciples, love. We love when it's hard. We love when it hurts. We love when it's not convenient. We love when it's not popular. We love even when those around us, their love is waxing cold. And have we forgotten that one of the elements of love is sacrifice? We all love John 3.16. It's the paramount verse of the Bible, right? John 3.16. You could probably quote it with me. For God so Love the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's great when we think about Jesus and him loving us enough to lay down our life. But how about its sister verse, if you will, in 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 16. Most of us don't know that one. And here's what 1 John chapter 3, 16. If you love your brother or sister, you will lay down your life for them. So I'll lay down my life for you, but I won't put a mask on for you. Preach, Pastor Preston. I'll lay down my life for you, but I'm not willing to have any of my freedom or liberties encroached upon for your sake. Again, I'm not talking about whether we agree with it or not or whether what our position is. I'm just saying, have we gotten so caught up in the battle that we've forgotten what love is? And yes, there are times where we have to take a stand. We have to, you know, uh, uh, we have to stand on our convictions and all. I get that. I understand that. I'm just saying, have we really considered what love looks like as we are taking those stands, as we have our positions and convictions or anything else? Are we letting love guide us? Are we being guided by what we feel is right? I'll use this example and I'm done. Philippians chapter 2 gives us an example of Jesus who in all of his glory, in all of his rightness, the Bible said he laid down his glory to become a servant. He humbled himself to the point of being crucified, humiliated on a cross. That's what love looks like. He, he gave up all of his right to glory. Let's say you get out here and you're leaving this place and you jump out here on, uh, what is this, Main Street right here? Washington, yeah, Main, okay. So you jump out here and and let's say you're headed for Camp Street and you've got green light. You see the green light, right? You've got the green light and you're going to head down and, 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 and you're coming across Camp Street. You've got the green light and you see a semi truck coming off to your right. And it seems like this semi truck is maxed out and, and it's not going to stop. But the light is green for you, which means you have what? The right away. You got the right to keep on going. But you see this truck, it's maxed out on speed. It doesn't look like it's going to stop. But you've got the right because you've got the green light. This may not be prophetic, but it's really wise you. If you see a truck coming that doesn't look like it's going to stop, but you've got the green light, which means you've got the right to go, you can keep going if you want to, and you will be dead right. Literally. 
Now, I want you to catch this in the spirit because some of us in the spirit, we are more concerned with being right than anything else. But being right is killing our testimony. Being right is killing our witness, is killing our influence. We're not able to be the salt and the light in the world like God has called us to be because we are more concerned with being right than being loving. And I'm telling us that true disciples, we love no matter what. We don't love just in word. We love, the Bible says, indeed. And love means sometimes I've got to lay me down. I've got to hang me on the cross. Yeah, you, you know that old saying, put self on the shelf? No, don't put self on the shelf. It's still alive and kicking on the shelf. <laughs> it's still screaming from the shelf. What do I need to do with me? I need to put me on the cross. That's why Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to come after me, take up your what? Cross, deny yourself. It's a day after day crucifixion of myself so that Jesus may be glorified. I decrease, he increases. Amen. Would you bow with me in prayer? God, I realize that none of what I have said is desirous and or possible without Jesus. For your word tells us in John chapter 15, Jesus speaking, he says, without me, you can do nothing. So all of this stuff that I've just said, without him fully alive in our hearts and in our lives, we won't desire to do it and we won't have the power to do it. So my first prayer is Jesus increase yourself in us. I pray that we would be a people that abide in you, that we abide in your word, that your word abides in us, that we are shown to be true disciples by bearing much fruit and by loving one another as you have loved us. May this word continue to increase in our lives in the days to come for the glory of God and for the advancement of your kingdom. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more messages like this one, please visit our online teaching library at gphop.org teachings. If you found this free material helpful in your walk with God, please prayerfully consider a generous donation. To give, please visit gphop.org donate. That's gphop.org donate. Thank you, and may the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you today.